بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد ونسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ ٹوڈے از دا ٹوینٹی سیکنڈ آف اکٹوبر ان دی ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری الحمد للہ وی موو ان So inshallah today, going through verse 42, up to and including verse 49. So verse 42, Hawadhi Billahi Minash Shaitan Al-Rajim, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Then we raised after them other generations. So the context here is, Allah Ta'ala has mentioned some of the messengers. And the last was Salih alayhi salatu wa salam. And now he's mentioning in general terms other generations. Verse 43. No people can quicken their term, nor can they delay it. So here Allah the Almighty and Glorious mentions that everything has a decreed time. So the nations that were destroyed, they were to be destroyed at the appointed time. Not one second <coughs> early, not one second late. But well, this applies to everything. Because in a hadith, in Ibn Majah, number 2144, Bazaar, number 2914, our beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, A person does not die until he takes his full share of provision and time. A person does not die until he takes his full share of provision and time. So here the Prophet was highlighting that everything is decreed for you. When, it, when is it decreed? When you was a mere fetus. Allah Ta'ala has decreed everything in terms of your food, your sustenance, your rizq and the exact moment of your death. And the Prophet said you cannot die until that is given to you. So when you hear of these narratives where people are supposed to be dead, but then miraculously they come alive. The response to that is that they still had provision. They still had time. But once that goes, time's up. And this is why there's other reports. For instance, our beloved messenger, he mentions that he was told, O son of Adam, alayhi salatu wa salam, Live as you want, you will certainly die. Love who you want, you will certainly leave him. This is in Hakim and his Mustadrak, 4-324, Sahih, Zahabi, Sahih, Abu Nu'im al-Hilya, 3-253, Tarheeb, 2-239, and Shaykh al-Bani, Rahmatullah, Ali, graded in Hassan in As-Sahihah, number 831. So here, Our beloved Messenger Sallallahu was told that to tell us, O children of Adam, live as you want, you will certainly die. So look at the nations of all that the Quran is mentioning. They lived as they wanted. They didn't believe, they rejected their prophets. Allah Ta'ala did not intervene. But then Allah Ta'ala says, you will certainly die. Meaning you will die either with my, my pleasure or my displeasure. Then it mentions, love who you want, you will certainly leave them. And it's true. Everybody you love, you will leave them. Except, of course, when you enter paradise. So note, 
The Prophet's highlighting again and again this reality, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And also, it mentions, so this is recorded in Hakim in his Mustadrak, number 7957, Sahih. Zahabi Sahih. Behaki in Shu'ab al Iman, number 9884. And Shaykh al Bani stated Sahih in Sahih al Jami, number 1077. Our beloved messenger, he said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, take advantage of five before five. Your youth before your old age, your health before your illness, your wealth before your poverty, your free time before your preoccupation, and your life before your death. So in this Sahih Hadith, what's been mentioned is that a Muslim is obligated to safeguard his time to preoccupy his time and life with the remembrance of Allah, obeying his Lord, obtaining beneficial knowledge. So the meaning of this hadith is a Muslim is very time conscious. He doesn't let time pass. And he should never leave your lips that I'm bored. Now often do people say that. So what you're really saying is, I've got time to waste. You haven't got time to waste. The Prophet said, make use of your youth before your old age. When people get old, what do they say? They say to the youngsters, if only we had your youth, meaning we wasted our youth. And then you get your health before your sickness. The person is completely healthy and he's going flat out for his dunya and suddenly he's hit. And when he's hit by an illness, everything is put on hold. And then what happens? He starts thinking about his death. Why is he thinking about his death when he's been hit? Now he hasn't got his health. So the Prophet said, before your health, before your sickness, your wealth before your poverty. How many people are very financially sound and they lose their wealth? And when they go into poverty, it's more difficult to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because they're constantly thinking that they're in a state of loss. Your free time before your preoccupation. As you get older, this is why Umar said, learn before you become preoccupied. When you're young, you haven't got preoccupations. You've got time to learn. When you get older, you get less time to learn because you've got more things to deal with. A grandfather is like a Amir al-Mu'mini. <laughs> you know how often do they get phone? Your grandson, your granddaughter. This is a, he's got so many. And that same man had nothing to worry about when he was single. So this is the preoccupation. Then finally, the Prophet said, your life before death. This is what it all boils down to. You know the meaning? Prepare for your death with your life. And also in another report with a slight change. <coughs> in Behaki and Sahih Al-Targheeb 1-126, our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the two feet of the servant will not move on the day of judgment until he, asked, he is asked about four things. His life and how he spent it. His youth and how he used it. The hadith continues. You are not allowed to move until you answer these questions. Your life, how you spent it, your youth and how you used it. So how valuable is time? One second is this valuable. Just to give you an example. The hadith is in Nasa'i Tirmadi Hassan Gharib, Ibn Kathir's Tafsir, volume 9, page 458 of the English translation. The Prophet wasallam said, He who says, Subhanallah al-Azimi wa bihamdihi, then a day tree will be planted for him in paradise. How long did it take me to say that? Subhanallah, 
Subhanallah al-Azim wa bihamdi. One second. And what have I got, inshallah? A day to in paradise. So, how valuable is your second? A second of your life, which you're wasting. In another report, in Bazar al-Hatami, in Majma al-Zawaid, Hassan, the Prophet says, He who says, Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, then a day tree will be planted for him in paradise. So even as short as it could, less than a second, you get a day tree in paradise. So note, time is precious. So here in this verse, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? No people can quicken their term, nor can they delay it. Meaning you've got a fixed amount of time. The grains of sand are running out. Every one of us, uh, the, what do you call? Egg, the timer is turned. The sand is flowing. You know, but shaitan for some reason confuses us. It's like, no, no, it's not flowing. There's a, there's a block in it. You're losing your life, it's wasting. So again, you need to think, you know, seriously about your life. Verse 44. Then we sent our messengers in succession. Every time they came to a people, their messenger, they accused him of falsehood. So we made them follow each other, i.e. in punishment. We made them as a tale, i.e. that is told. So away with the people that did not believe. So now in this verse, Allah Ta'ala is not mentioning names now. He's just generalizing. He's saying we sent messengers. No names are mentioned. Every time their messenger came, they accused him of falsehood. They were punished. And look what he then says. We made them as a tale. In other words, you just hear about it. Now what's interesting about that, this is the beauty of the Quran. What remains is merely a vague story of their existence, a tale that is told. Where their name remains, which is not always the case, it is only a byword. So what's the beauty? The beauty is when Allah mentions messengers, he gives details. Now he's mentioning generally, and look what he says. We made them as a tale, meaning I don't even want to give you their details. Because they're not even <laughs> worth, like you said, the, the paper to write the ink on. Because they've just like, and you know, for example, if I was to say to you how many prophets were sent, you say 124,000. How many mentioned in the Quran? Less than 30. So why is Allah not mentioned, you know, more than, you know, less than 0.1% of the prophets? Waste of time. So Allah is saying, وَجَعَلْنَاهُمْ أَحَادِيثِ We made them a tale. Just, you know, hear words here and there about them. Verse 45. Then we sent Musa, alayhi salatu wasalam, and his brother Harun, alayhi salatu wasalam, with our signs and authority manifest to Fir'aun and his chiefs. But these behave incidentally. They were an arrogant people. So now what's interesting? Allah Ta'ala doesn't just mention Pharaoh. Fir'aun wa mala'i. Fir'aun and his chiefs, meaning he had these high officials. And what does he say about them? Very interesting. They were arrogant people and they considered themselves high. Ali. They said, shall we believe in two men like ourselves? And their people are subject to us. So this was their argument. Because these are just two men. So note again. Allah is highlighting the belief of the unbelievers. They can't see past the human form of the prophets. 
They keep saying it. It's just a man. It's just a man. So what did Firon and his crony say? Shall we believe in two men like ourselves? Then the second argument. Their people are subject to us. What does that mean? The Egyptians, they were racists. Racial arrogance. As if they were saying, these men belong to a race which we hold in subjection as our slaves. How can we accept them as messengers of Allah? Now why is that so ironic? <laughs> Look how the tables have turned. Of all the people in on the earth, who should be the least racist? The Bani Israel. And who are the most racist? What's happening in Palestine? They even say, these are animals. Don't you learn nothing from your history? You following Pharaoh's belief. What did he say? Because these are our subjects. Not, how can we follow these people? Like you say, like they say now, these animals. How are we going to follow them? So Allah Ta'ala is highlighting something here. He goes, these people don't learn their lesson. Right? So note again, this is the arguments of the Pharaoh. So now, this wasn't all. Shaykh Maududi Rahmatullah he mentions another very important point. So, in his commentary of Surah 43, verse 52, so the gist of it is that they're finding fault with Musa. So, Shaykh Maududi he says, Rahmatullah some commentators have expressed the opinion that Fir'aun referred to the impediment of speech from which Musa suffered since childhood. So what did Pharaoh say? Surah 43 verse 52. He goes, he can hardly make himself clear. Are we going to follow him? But Shaykh Maududi says, this is not a correct opinion. As has been mentioned in Surah Taha, when Musa والسلام, was appointed to prophethood, he implored Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove the defect from his tongue so that the people might understand this speech and at that very time this request has also been granted with other requests. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention? That Musa wasalam, said Rabbi shrahli sadri Remove the knot from my tongue. Shaykh Maududi says, Orations of Musa that have been cited at different places in the Quran point to his perfect eloquence and fluency. Therefore, the basis of Fir'aun's objection was not any impediment of speech from which Musa was suffering. But what he meant was, this person talks confusedly. At least I have never been able to understand what he says. So what's happening? He's arrogant. So when he's والسلام, mentioning Tawheed, he doesn't get it. But really he does. But what's his counter to that? He goes, this person's not making sense. He's not making himself clear. So... Sheikh Maududi goes, this is what he was intending. He didn't intend, Fedon didn't intend that he's got a lisp. You know, he's got a speech impediment. What he meant was, I don't accept Tawheed. Because he knew what that meant. And this is what Sheikh Maududi says. And also, more explicitly, 
in Surah 33, verse 69. So in Surah Ahzab, verse 69, there's a severe warning. And what's interesting, Allah mentions Musa again. So the report. So this hadith is in Sayyid Bukhari, number 278, Sayyid Muslim, number 768, Ahmad in his Muslim, al bidai Abu Huraira radiyallahu he relates. And another version is directly from the Prophet sallallahu Musa salatu wasalam was an extremely bashful person. He was never seen naked. And Bani Israel said, he is afraid to show his nakedness because he is suffering from scrotal hernia. So stop in the report. So all the prophets are extremely bashful. Musa, no exception. He didn't bathe in public. They were used to bathing in public. So they, instead of thinking well of their prophet, they said, oh, there's something wrong with his, you know, his owner. The hadith continues. Musa, wasalam, once took a bath in water and he placed his garments on a rock. The rock miraculously began to start moving quickly. Musa wasalam, then chased it and struck it with the help of a, a stone. And he said, Oh stone, my garment, oh stone, my garment, until it stopped at a large gathering of Israel. And this verse was revealed due to this. Surah 33, verse 69. O oh, you who believe, do not be like those who insulted Musa. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cleared him of this. And he was honorable in the sight of Allah. So let's look at this. So what did they accuse Musa wasalam, of? Because there's something wrong with his, his, his order. Allah Ta'ala did not let that pass. He caused the miracle to occur. And Allah Ta'ala was highlighting to him, there's nothing wrong with Musa. So now first thing, does that mean they saw him naked? So Hafiz ibn al-Jawzi in Fat al-Bari 1-561 he said possibly Musa wasalam, had worn an undergarment at the time of running after the rock. So it doesn't mean he was naked. It means that his his odor was covered. Now why should we not find that strange? Because let alone messengers, companions did not bear naked. Uthman, the third Khalif, did not bathe naked, nor did Abu Musa al-Ashari. So when it says, now how did they know that there was nothing wrong with him? And the response is, Allah Ta'ala made it clear to them. So this is the understanding of the of his ruling towards the rock. Another report says he used his staff to strike the rock. And what's strange is when you strike wood against rock, wood breaks. It didn't break. And even more amazing, it left marks on the rock. <laughs> so how strong was Musa? So we don't get the impression, you just know, oh, what are you doing? He wiped the rock and he left a mark on it. The staff did not break because it was from paradise. 
So this is something else. Now, well, how is this relevant to the verse we're going through? Ibn Hajar Asqalani, rahmatullah he says, this is in Fatt al-Bari 6-438. This shows that the Prophets, والسلام, in both their physical appearance and attitude, were the most perfect and that whoever accused a Prophet والسلام, of having any physical defect, thus annoyed him, I refer to verse 69, and the one who does this may be an unbeliever. So here what's mentioned, Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani, he comments upon this hadith. He said the Prophets, not just Musa, the Prophets والسلام, they are perfect in what? In both their physical and attitude. So they're perfect in their physicality. There's nothing wrong with them physically. And in their inward state, they're perfect. Then look what he said. Whoever accused a prophet, any prophet, of having any physical defect, he goes, you may have become an unbeliever. You've lost your iman. So why is this relevant? Because if you say Musa had a physical impediment, you might be a kafir. So note again, you have to be very careful. What does that tell you? Allah Ta'ala does not take prisoners when it comes to his prophets. You must not speak anything but honorably about the prophets. And also there's a report which is relevant. In Sayyid Bukhari and Sayyid Muslim, the Prophet was once distributing spoils. And one of the men said, this division is not righteous. Somebody then informed the Prophet of this. I think it was Ibn Mas'ud. And the Prophet showed great anger. But then he suddenly said, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon Musa. He had been harmed more than this. But he was patient. So Rasulullah remembered Musa because people are troubling me. But Musa went through much more. This was the humility of the Prophet and because he was patient, meaning I will also show patience over these ignorant remarks. So now what's interesting, why did Rasulullah get angry? That's the key point. Rasulullah does not get angry for himself. So when the man said, this distribution is not righteous, the Prophet got angry for the sake of Allah. Why was he getting angry? Because you, they, he's found fault with Rasulullah's distribution. Meaning Allah's distribution. But then the Prophet held back. Why? Because remembering Musa So Lord here, going back to the verse, verse 46. They said, shall we, sorry verse 47, shall we believe in two men like ourselves? The first disaster. And their people are subject to us. Second disaster. And then the other passage, they found fault with Musa So what does Allah say simply? Verse 48. So they accused them of falsehood and they became those who were destroyed. So Allah tells you why they were destroyed. Because they accused them of falsehood. They said they're lying. They're not telling you the truth. Allah Ta'ala goes, halaqa, destruction. Verse 49. 
And we gave Musa والسلام, the book in order that they might receive guidance. Now look how interesting. After mentioning the destruction of the Pharaoh and the Egyptians per se, Allah only then mentions that he gave the book to Musa والسلام, in order that they might receive guidance. Now what's shocking? After all what they saw, i.e. how Allah helped Musa والسلام, with all the miracles and the destruction of Pharaoh in their very own eyesight, they saw him being destroyed. Did they take it? Allah was hinting to that when he said straight after we gave Musa the book in order that they now might receive guidance but of course sadly most of them did not so Allah said it was and we will continue Adhubi Allahi Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajeem Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim ثم أنشأنا من بعدهم قرونا آخرين ما تسبق من أمة عجلها وما يستأخرون ثم أرسلنا رسلنا تترى كلما جاء أمة رسولها فقذبوه فأتبعنا بعدهم بعد وجعلناهم أحاديث فَبُعْدًا لِقَوْمٍ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ ثُمَّ أَرْسَلْنَا مُوسَى وَأَخَاهُ هَارُونَ بِآيَاتِنَا وَسُلْطَانٍ مُبِينٍ إِلَى فِرْعَوْنَ وَمَلَئِهِ فَاسْتَكْبَرُوا وَكَانُوا قَوْمًا عَالِينَ فَقَالُوا وَنُؤْمِنُ لِبَشَرِينِ مِثْلِنَا وَقَوْمُهُمَا لَنَا عَابِدُونَ فَكَذَّبُوهُمَا فَقَانُوا مِنَ الْمُهْلَكِينَ وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَا مُوسَى الْكِتَابَ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَهْتَدُونَ We pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He makes the Qur'an the Rabi of our hearts and I pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He gives me from the ears which I may have in His words and give سبحان الله بحمده سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك اغفر لنا من شرور انفسنا سبحان ربي رب العزه عما يصفون سلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والاصل الانسان لفي خسر الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات ونواصب الحق ونواصب الصبر صدق الله العظيم